We've come to chapter 2 this morning. I'm excited. We're progressing our way through the, the book of Philippians, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. We want to continue that this morning. As you're, you're turning there, some of you may be interested in this. Some of you probably aren't. Um, but there's a quarterback controversy in Chicago. Uh, indeed, there is. Um, Jay Cutler, franchise quarterback, great talent, has been injured uh, for the past, I don't know, five weeks. Injured groin, injured ankle. In his absence, Josh McCown has performed very well, leading the Bears to a 3-2 and two record. Probably should have been 4-1. and one. In fact, uh, he, has, he has performed so well that he is the highest, and there's this rating, total quarterback rating. And he is the highest total quarterback rating in the entire football league. He's at like 85.7. Peyton Manning is two points below him, and everyone else is 13 points below him. It's like doing phenomenally well. And particularly last Sunday night, played the Dallas Cowboys. Some of you may have watched that game. Some of you may not. He had a record night. 348 yards, passing four touchdowns. Passed a rating of 141.9, which is really good. He also had a seven-yard touchdown run. His performance earned him NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I mean, that, that means that of all the offensive players, the NFC, he, was, he had the best performance. In fact, uh, against Dallas, his put in perspective, he was the only Bears player since the 1970 merger to account for five touchdowns while throwing for zero interceptions the same game. He ran the offense so well that they never punted. The Bears didn't. Something that hadn't happened for 41 years. Josh McCown is playing out of this world. And so it's led the media to say that Josh McCown should be the starting quarterback. And Jay Cutler should back him up now because he's playing so well. But listen to what Josh McCown has said. He said to a member of the media, he says, like I said before. This This is his mantra, what he's been saying. He says, I am the backup And Jay is our starter. If Jay is healthy, he should be the starting quarterback. That's really it. I I don't go out going, you you know what, if I do this and now I'll be the starter, that's not my mindset. It says, my mindset is to serve our team as the backup quarterback as best I can and to play efficient football and to play winning football and in this situation, keep us in contention so that whenever Jay Cutler comes back in, takes over, we're in a position to continue to make a playoff run. Now, what makes that quote so remarkable is that this is a professional football player where egos are at stake, where millions of dollars are at stake, and yet Josh McNown has held the line. I'm the backup and Jay's our starter. That's not easy for any athlete to say. Athletes are trained from their youth to play. I, I remember when I was in sixth grade, had the first chance to play on my very first team. It was um, the Huntley J. Barbs basketball team. And I remember longing to play and wanting to play, losing sleep as a junior hire about wanting to start so badly. And here is this man, he's a professional player, Wanting to play from his youth, everything in his power has been to to play, and yet what has he done? He's put the team first, he's put himself second. It's reminded me of the uh, famous orchestra, the famous conductor who was asked, what's the hardest instrument to play? And without hesitation, this famous conductor said, well, second violin. 
And he explained, I can always get plenty of first violinists, to put, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And if no one plays second, we have no harmony. That's what Josh McCown is doing. He's playing second fiddle and doing a very good job of it. Well, this morning as we come in our time in the Scriptures, we're going to see that God's call upon all of our lives is to play second fiddle. Philippians 2, 1-4 through 4, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, the core of these words come in verse 2, which speak of unity. Four times Paul used a phrase denoting unity. Same mind, he says. Same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. And the path to this unity in verse 2 is humility. Verses 3 and 4. With humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Unity comes through humility. And we see that with the Chicago Bears. That's why I bring up that illustration. I mean, just, just imagine if Josh McCown said what the media was saying. Imagine if, if he was saying to the press what the press has been saying to the world. Many in the press. Many, many are saying Cutler should be the quarterback. But what if Josh McCown said this? Well, just look at my performance. It speaks for itself. Last week, I had a higher passer rating than Jay Cutler's ever had in any game of any time he has ever had in his entire career. I lead the league in total quarterback rating. Sure, Cutler has a stronger arm and he may be quicker in the pocket. I acknowledge that. But listen, our team's on a roll. Why tamper with success? The team trusts me, has confidence. We've been winning with me. I think I should start. I earn the job. I should play. I think the team has the best chance to win if I'm playing. What would that do to the Chicago Bears? We'd divide it right down the middle. There'd be some who'd side with Josh McCown, some with Jay Cutler. It would distract from the focus of the team, which is win games and win a championship. It's their goals. But that hasn't taken place because Josh McCown has taken the humble path and thus he's created a unity in the Chicago Bears locker room and the entire organization and Cutler starting today at noon against the Browns. We'll see how he does. Lots of intrigue if he doesn't do so well, but, but that's for another day. But the title of my message this morning is Unity Through Humility. And we see that in Josh McCown. This is the message of Philippians 2, 1 through 4. And of course, our theme picks up from last week, in which Paul exhorted those in Philippi to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, con- conduct yourself worthy of the gospel by walking in unity. And so likewise here, it is unity through humility. Well, in verses 1-4, one, one Paul shows how to do this. Of course, it's through humility. Let's look at my first point. I'm calling it simply the reality. Paul says this, If... Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. 
And he's going to say, make my joy complete by being in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. But, but if these things are true, make me happy by being unified. That's his argument. In fact, he says four times, he uses if. If there's any encouragement in Christ. That's one. Number two, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. Three, if there's any, I'm sorry, two, if there's any consolation of love. Three, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. Four, if any affection and compassion. Now, in Paul's mind, this isn't a doubt. It's not like saying, well, this might be true, this might not be true. It is a certainty in Paul's mind. Here's the fact, there is encouragement in Christ. Here's the fact, there is consolation of love. Here's the fact, there is fellowship of the Spirit. And here is fact, there is affection and compassion. In fact, it is faithful to translate verse 2, Therefore, since there is encouragement in Christ, and since there is consolation of love, and since there is fellowship of the Spirit, and since there is affection and compassion, well then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Because these things are true. In, in fact, you can even translate it this way. Therefore, because there is encouragement in Christ, and because there is consolation of love, because there is fellowship of the Spirit, because there is affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I think a reason why Paul keeps this if in here, though, is for the sake of those in Philippi. He's trying to persuade them. He's, he's trying to say, well, well, if this is true, and, and the Philippians know it is, and Paul knows it is, and this is how we ought to walk. Rather than demanding that they be unified, coming down with an iron fist, Paul's seeking to give them reasons why. And it all has to do with the reality of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what all four of these phrases are getting at. That, that, that Jesus and the Spirit are very much a reality in your life, and, and, and they are working in your life, God is working in your life, therefore it should manifest itself in unity. Let's just think about each of these phrases. Encouragement in Christ. Encouragement is a real common word in the New Testament used over a hundred times. Para kaleo. Para means by. Kaleo means to call. To call alongside of is a literal translation of that. Now, you, you picture the track coach calling alongside of his, uh, his runner as he runs around right, the track. And sometimes when you call alongside, he needs encouragement to keep going. Right? He's run the first lap and he's doing well. He said, keep going, keep your pace, you can do it. And sometimes, not only encouragement, sometimes it's like a rebuke or an exhortation. He's coming around the second lap and he's getting behind. And the coach maybe yells at him, get going, come on, you got to get your pace. Come on, you can do it, get going. And sometimes though, this calling alongside might be more of a comfort. When he's running his third lap, he's on his final lap and... The, the, the leaders are way up ahead. There's no chance for him to win. And you can tell he's kind of he's not doing so well. Maybe a cramp in his leg or a cramp in his stomach. And at that point, the, the coach can say, well, finish strong. You can do it. Don't worry about winning. You can do it. I, I believe you just do your best. I'm with you. That's what this word means. You call alongside. Sometimes exhortation. Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's, it's comfort. And it's all dependent upon the context. What's happening in the context? We don't know the context here. And perhaps even that's why Paul is, is particularly and purposely vague. Whatever your situation, Jesus is calling in your life, whether to encourage you, like, like these in Philippi, right? They're doing well. Paul, Paul would say, hey, this is a church that's doing well. But not all are doing well. Case in point, chapter 4, verse 2, I 
urge Euodia, I urge Syntyche, I parakaleo them, I parakaleo, I, I exhort them, I beseech them, I implore them, as some translations say, to, to live in harmony in the Lord. I'm commanding you to live in unity, is what he's saying. And, and there's some who needed the, the exhortation. And there's some, I'm sure, who needed the comfort. Chapter 1, verse 29 speaks about those who are suffering for the sake of Christ. And so it may be a, it may be a comfort, it may be an exhortation, it may be an encouragement. We don't know. But there is that in Jesus. Jesus is in our lives, helping us, encouraging us, strengthening us, rebuking us. Well, if there is a consolation of love, this phrase talks about a comforting love of Jesus. I think so. There could be this overlap between the encouragement in Christ, the comfort in Christ, and this consoling love of Christ. He's just talking about, is, is there a consoling love of Jesus in your life? That Jesus loved us is without doubt. When Jesus came to earth, this was a mission of love. God demonstrates His own love towards us. And then while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. He, he loved us who believe in Him. He gave Himself up. He died for us. When walking with the disciples, when Jesus was on earth, He loved them. As it says in John 13.1, He loved them until the end. Or He loved them to the uttermost, as one translation says. It's not just a one-time event that Jesus loved us. No, His love is an eternal love. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love. When speaking of the church, we read in Ephesians 1.5 In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. But, and, and the love of Jesus continues today. Revelation 1.5 To Him who loves us, present tense, and released us from our sins by His blood, past tense. His love continues on and His love gives comfort, consolation, care, and compassion. And Paul's saying this, if there's any comfort in the love of Christ that you have received, then be unified. Or fellowship of the Spirit. This phrase refers to the active role of this Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul calls it the fellowship. Literally, it's the sharing of the Spirit. We've seen this word before, koinonia. It comes in chapter 1, verse 5, in view of your Koinonia, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. If, if, if the Holy Spirit has shared His gifts with you, is His active presence among you. And Paul is saying this, if it is true that the Spirit is among you, if it's true that He's genuinely with you, then let's see them work. And let them work in unity. Because when the Holy Spirit gives His gifts to the church, He gives them for the purpose of unity. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, there are are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives His gifts to the church in all different sorts and ways. Some have different gifts, some have different ministries, some have different effects. But the Spirit distributes to each one individually just as He wills so that all be united in one body. 1 Corinthians 12, after this, goes on to speak about the whole body. Uh, if, if one were an ear or one were a hand, then I, everyone can be, can't be an eye. The Spirit gives for the purpose of unity in building up the common good. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if, if the Spirit is among you, then seek unity. Finally, the fourth phrase, if any affection and compassion. 
Now, this may be like the first three phrases, focusing primarily upon God's love, Christ's love, the Holy Spirit's work upon us. If, if God has given affection to you, if God has extended his compassion to you, which is certainly true. God's been compassionate in Jesus Christ, dying for sins that we just believe apart from works and we're justified before him. But notice here in this last phrase, there's no qualifier. There's no Encouragement in Christ. There's no fellowship of the Spirit. It's just affection and compassion. And it may be just in general in nature. It may be God's affection and compassion for us. Maybe it's our affection and compassion for God. Maybe it's our affection and compassion for others. Not just vertical, but even others. Do you really have an affection, he's saying to the Philippians? Do you really have this compassion for others? And we know that, that affection and compassion went horizontally. Chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Same word, splachna. Right? I'm just in the deep recesses of my feelings and my heart. I have an affection for you. Those in Philippi right, had a great compassion for God. God had a great compassion for them. A great heart. And so this may be a phrase in general of all kinds of affection and compassion all around. But the idea is this. Christ has done so much for our souls. He died for us, redeemed us, reconciled us to the Father, has given us every good and perfect gift. And, and the call here is merely to respond rightly to Him. Right? Love to God means love to others. Affection to God means affection to others. Experiencing His compassion means you'll, you'll extend compassion to others. Here's the question, right? Do we really have feelings for the Lord Jesus? Do we really have affection for Him in our heart? Is there genuine compassion? Do we really care for each other? And Paul's saying, yes, that should be true. And since that's true, because that's true, then, verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Which leads us into our second point this morning. Because of the reality, verse 1, we should seek unity, verse 2. Because of the reality of verse 1, we should seek unity in verse 2. Verse 2 is a call to unity. Four phrases. Be of the same mind. Maintain the same love. Be united in spirit. Be intent on one purpose. Paul's heart for the Philippians was to see a united church. A church together. In fact, that's... Paul's heart from last week. Chapter 1, verse 27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. One spirit. There they are. With one mind. Right? One thought. Striving together. Right? Agonizing together. It's the one thing that Paul wanted to see from the Philippians. From the Philippians their unity. If I come to you, I'll see it firsthand. If, I, if I'm prohibited coming to you, at least I'll be able to hear of it. Notice how the argument's the same. Here in chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, in verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul says, live a life worthy of the Gospel and work it out in unity. Chapter 2, he says, listen, if you've genuinely shared in the Gospel, then work it out in unity. My message this morning is the same as my message last week. So we can all just go home. Or maybe we need to hear it again. Now, for Paul, this, this was something that was good for the Philippians. But it was more than that. It was something that was good for Paul. He desired it. He said this. He said, make my joy complete. Make me happy by seeking unity. It's here that we see Paul's pastor's heart open up 
with his genuine desires, wanting to see the the church in Philippi united in all ways. He, He knew Psalm 133 and the blessings of unity. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. And then, in Psalm 133, it goes on, it's like the precious oil coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded His blessing, life forever. Paul knew how sweet unity was because he knew Psalm 133. Unity is like the, the, the day of the, the coronation of Aaron the priest. right? A, a, a big turning point in, in the day of Israel's history. A little bit like our July 4th when we finally have independence. This is like we're finally getting the law and finally establishing it. And Aaron's being anointed and this, this smooth oil is coming down even upon his, his robes. And what a grand day that was. Or unity's like the refreshing dew of Mount Hermon. Which, which comes down from the mountains. It gives water and life and, and refreshment. I preached through this this summer and Andy Krause told me I missed a perfect example for an illustration. So I'm going to use your illustration you told me, which I should have thought of. But I'm thinking about dew from the mountains coming down. Why do you laugh, SR? Here you go. If you don't know this, I'm a Mountain Dew connoisseur. In fact, uh, in my office, I keep all different types of flavor. This is uh, original flavor, 1948. when when that one came out. See, I also got... Uh, you know what the name of this one is? Code Red, 2001, it came out. See, we've got... Uh, let's see, this one. You know the name of this one? Voltage. 2008, alright, and uh, I got one, one last one here, Whiteout, 2010, now I'm, I'm missing one, actually I, I just went there this morning assuming I had all my colors, there's orange one, Live Wire, this came out in uh, 2003, in our family, you know what we call this? Green, and, and you know what we call this? Red, and you know what we call this? Blue, you know what we call this? White. And you know what we call the orange live wire? Come on. All right. We just refer to it. He said, hey, can I have some green? Can I have a white? I mean, that, that's, how, that's how much our Mountain Dew is. And um, I love a Mountain Dew. I find these drinks refreshing and enjoyable. <laughs> and such is unity in the church refreshing, it's enjoyable. Paul knew Psalm 133 said that. But beyond Psalm 133, Paul knew from experience about the joys of unity and the sorrows of disunity. The tone of Philippians is much different than his tone in 2 Corinthians. Because there was a general unity in Philippi that didn't exist in Corinth. And if you've lived long enough, you know the joys of unity and the sorrows of disunity. Maybe you know that in your family. We're talking at prayer meeting today about just the, the difficulty and the sorrow and the drama and the tension that often comes with disunity in the family. When brothers and sisters haven't spoken to each other in years, it's an empty place at the table, it's painful. Holidays can be a, a difficult time. 
right? And maybe it comes down to you don't really like Thanksgiving and Christmas because you spend it with your family and it just reminds you of all the muck that's there. Well, you're tasting the, the terrible things of disunity. Or, or you might be in a family where Christmas and Thanksgiving is just an utter joy. It's what our family is, by God's grace. It's what I hope you train your kids so that when they come with their spouses and kids, it can be utter joy for them when they come to your house. It can be good, but disunity is difficult. I mean, marriage, maybe you've seen it in, in your marriage, maybe you've seen it in your parents' marriage, right? When husband and wife aren't getting along, it's painful all around. It affects children. It affects brothers-in-law and brothers and sisters and the whole family. It's no accident divorce is so painful. It's because of the opposite of unity. Unity is sweet. Disunity is sour. Kind of like, ugh. Maybe you see in your workplace, people just can't get along and it leads to tension every day, everywhere in the workplace. Maybe you've seen it at church where resentments and feuds stirred for years rear their ugly head. Paul says this when it comes to the church in Philippi, he says, seek unity. In Rock Valley Bible Church, I encourage you the same thing. Seek unity. That's what a worthy walk looks like. That's what makes Paul happy. So it makes any pastor happy. Paul's happiness is similar to John's words. Remember 3 John 4? I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. John says, okay, my superlative joy is when I hear my children are walking in the truth. And what Paul says is, is that my joy comes when you are walking worthy of the Gospel in a unified way. But he says, just like Paul, John said, no greater joy. Paul said it this way, make my joy complete. Both maximizing joy, happiness, when he hears of other people walking in the truth, walking in unity. My joy, Paul says, will be complete when I hear of those in Philippi walking in the truth of the Gospel. And again, we come to our theme again, right? Rejoice in the Gospel. Paul's going to rejoice when the Philippians are walking rightly in light of the Gospel. Verse 1. Really what Paul's after is as hard as a pastor is to seek for people's joy. And I say being a pastor is an incredible blessing. It's an incredible blessing in my life. I love being a pastor. I love sharing my life with all of you. I love sharing my love with you. I love interacting with your families. I love interacting with the kids. You know, we have youth group each Wednesday night. And, and I just like being there. All right? Maybe I'm a, a child at heart. I, I just love interacting with kids. But my kids say, Dad, we want you there. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go. And, and because... Because I want to spend my life with all of you. I love seeing the Gospel take root in your lives. I love seeing your commitment to Jesus grow. I love being a part of that. But there are times when being a pastor isn't so wonderful. It's when there's disunity in the church. When I, feel like, when I hear of people in conflict with one another. It's painful. It's difficult. And it's, it's distracting. It can be all-consuming. And because part of my role as a pastor... Like Paul is doing here is to cultivate unity when there's disunity is seek to try to try to help and, and mend and restore. And sometimes it's difficult. Uh, reconciliation is very difficult. There's one thing I've learned in pastoring is that Proverbs eighteen nineteen is true. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. 
and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. When a brother's offended, when people are worried, to, to, to win them and reconcile them is very hard. Harder to win than a strong city. And there are times, pastorally, I'm placed right in the middle of it. Because they, they can't solve something, and so they, they call me and like, whoa. And it's got history oftentimes. And it's filled with many things. And two sides warring with each other. And I'm, I'm the peacekeeper. When hearts are hard, it's impossible to reconcile. And I can't change a heart. So I, I'm placed in a very difficult situation sometimes. In fact, uh, I told you a story last week. I'll tell you a story this week. I remember one time at church, two families were each other's throats. And so I'm, I'm talking on the phone with one of the husbands, and, and he told me of one of the wrongs the other family did to his family. And uh, he said, I, I, think, I think, Steve, we ought to go into Matthew 18 and really take this to the church and tell the church the sin of this family. I said, well, okay, well, let me call the other family. So I hung up the phone and I called the other husband of this other family and uh, within the hour. And uh, he told me of all the wrongs that the other family had done to their family and uh, how we should carry through Matthew 18 and tell the whole church about their sin. <laughs> it's like they wanted to like, take Matthew 18 and go, <laughs> like shoot each other with it. How are you going to reconcile that? Well, I got them together. And um, by the way, when that happens, I, um, my, I can't eat. My, my stomach just churns. And so if you want me to lose weight, you want a skinnier pastor, just start having fights and battles with people and I'll, I'll trim right on up. But uh, you want a fat pastor is what you want. Not really. Not really. I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying. But I, I'm really trying to lose weight. It's, it's been a struggle for me. But, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm here and... and, and and I'm kind of like place to judge, right? One pleads his case, one pleads his case, and I'm trying to reconcile them. But, but in the end, in some regards, I, I did side with one family. And when the other family saw that, uh, they left the church angry. And uh, I think the first Sunday that they weren't in church, like, oh, I wonder where they were. Uh, go home, and in my mailbox, a nasty, whatever, five-page letter talking about all the ways that I don't love the truth and I'm not standing firm and all this kind of stuff. So like, those days are no fun. Eventually, the other family left too, so you don't have to worry about trying to figure out who that is. <clears throat> Those days are not joyful. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just putting for you. Paul says, make my joy complete by being unified. And your unity has a direct implication on my joy. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He says, from my own personal viewpoint... The one thing I most hate in our church, the thing that I most hate is spiritual apathy. Indifference to the things of the Lord, indifference to holy truth, indifference to spiritual issues. That's the one thing I most hate. But the thing I most fear is discord, disunity, conflict, and division. It's interesting. That's what he fears. And I resonate with that. I understand that. He says... Continues. This is when he was preaching through this passage. He said, My constant prayer for this blessed church, of which we're all a part, is that men will never tear asunder what God has joined together. But this is a constant battle. And I would say to you that endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the church is easily the most pressing, difficult, and constant activity of spiritual oversight. Unquestionably, it is the major issue of spiritual leadership is to push the unity of the body. 
And he, he went on in that quote, I, I don't have it here, but to describe how many of the New Testament epistles were, were addressed so as to create unity in the church. That's what Ephesians is all about. Right? Jew and Gentile together as one. The incredible blessings that God has given out. Right? We were dead in our transgressions and sins. You Gentiles were dead in your transgressions and sins. But God has reconciled us both to Him in one body. That's the great mystery that Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow heirs of the promise. So let's walk worthy of that. And how do you walk worthy of that? Chapter 4, verse 1 speaks about in gentleness and humility, striving for unity. And you see that in many other epistles. And here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul exerts his spiritual leadership encouraging the unity of the church. Again, four things. Being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So real quickly, let's just go through all these. Being of the same mind. That is, talking and thinking about the same way. It's, it's, talking, I'm sorry, it's, it's talking about thinking the same way. Being of the same mind. Now, certainly it's true about the Gospel. Um, genuine unity for it to exist here at Rock Valley Bible Church we, we need to think the same thing about Jesus we can't, we can't think differently about Christ here at Rock Valley Bible Church and have any unity fully God fully man lived a perfect life died unjustly at the hands of sinful men but raised triumphantly from the dead now he sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us interacting with us dying as our substitute so that we who believe are justified in him that's the gospel and we have to be total unified on that. We need to think the same about that. But I think that Paul here, in the first phrase, is getting at something deeper than that. He, he wants us to think about each other in the same way as well. Remember Yodia and Syntyche? Chapter 4, verse 2, I urge Yodia, I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. He exhorted them to live in harmony in the Lord. Literally, he said, be of the same mind in the Lord. Same word used here in... Chapter 2, verse 2. Now, I don't think their problem was differing views on the Gospel, by the way. <clears throat> I think that their, <clears throat> their problem was differing views of the circumstances of life of something that addressed them. And Paul was telling them to, to think the same way so as to build unity. See things the same way. Think the same way. But there's more than just thinking the same way. To build unity. He also says, maintain the same love. The first phrase, address our heads, thinking the same way. This one addresses our hearts. He's talking about having a love for one another that expresses itself in sacrifice and, and devotion. He's talking about having a, a heart of care for one another. He's talking about the, having a love that, that really reaches out and, and really helps. He wants a love that, that matches with each other's side. Right? My love for you is on the same level as your love for me. It's difficult sometimes when, when one loves more than the other loves. Because this, this one loves and this one doesn't return the love. Right? That happens in marriage and that's hard in marriage sometimes. But where's a sweet marriage? is when one love matches another love and, and they're, both, they're both growing in one another. And that's, that's what he's saying. I want, so, if, so if you're slacking, right, come up and love. Love stronger. Being in the same mind, maintaining the same love. United in spirit. <clears throat> Literally, Paul says here, united in soul. Sum sukoi. Sum from soon, with. Sukoi, psychology. Soul. A with-souled person. Sum sukoi. 
It's getting at our inner being. It's not just on the surface. It's not just external deeds. We're talking about as deep as you can, beyond our thoughts, beyond our feelings, deep into our souls, to the source and origin of our feelings and our thoughts and our desires. He desires that we be united in our souls. The ESV says that we should be in full accord and in full unity with the full being of what we are. And that's the call of Christian love. Not, not merely external. Oh, I, I'm loving you in this way so that you'll pat my back, right? What can you do for me? No, it's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's soul bonding that should take place in our hearts. That's the unity among believers in Jesus Christ. We can have this soul unity with each other. Husbands and wives, you should be soulmates together. Your fellow heirs of the grace of life together. And there's a sense where all of us should be soulmates together. Final phrase, intent on one purpose. Now that gets back to the first phrase. Literally can be translated, as the ESV does, of one mind. It's a call of unity in our, our, our life that we be of the same mind, same mind towards the gospel, same mind towards one another. We have the same head, we have the same heart, we have the same soul, and we have one mind. And when all those things are there, unity will exist. Now, at this point, there are two big questions on the table. First point, first question is this: application, right? Is this your heart for this church? Do you have a heart to be of the same mind, same head, same thinking. Do you have a heart that wants to, to beat the same way as other people here? Do you want to be soulmates to people here? Do you want to have one mind? <clears throat> Do you know of this? Have you experienced this? Are you longing for this? Are you striving for this? You can't do that simply by being out on the outside and looking on. There needs to be a level of involvement, engagement with other people of the church. There needs to be time and your, your thinking, where your thinking interacts the thinking of others, right? Which molds eventually into similarity. That's the purpose of our small groups. So we have tonight at the Brandon House, I think. Weebies, you guys at the Cockies? No, not tonight. Okay. Um, but that happens. Different levels, different times. Just we interact over Scripture to build a common mind together. Are you experiencing it now at Rock Valley Bible Church? Do you want to experience it? Are you making the efforts to experience it? Because unity doesn't just, just happen. Unity takes work. Now, the second question is this. How? How in the world, Steve, is this ever going to happen? We're different people from different walks of life. Different ages, different experiences, different family background, different families now. How are we going to know this unity? Well, that's my final point. Thanks for asking. The reality, verse 1. Seek unity, verse 2. And this can only be done, verses 3 and 4, through humility. Through humility. So verses 3 and 4 are talking about do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, those two verses are real simple. They say the same thing. But they're incredibly difficult. They're, they're easy to understand. They are very hard to apply. Verse 3 says this, Do nothing 
from selfishness or empty conceit. Now, what makes that so hard is that we are selfish creatures, right? We look out for our own well-being. We look out for our own good. We like to promote ourselves. We like it when people speak well of, of us. We like to speak well of ourselves. We like it when people look up to us. We like it when people praise us. But Paul says, just wipe that all away. All away. Not, not mostly away. All the way. It says do nothing. There's no wiggle room in these verses. Do nothing from a self-centered motive. Do nothing that would give you praise from others. Do nothing that would, would seek praise from others. In other words, I think it is. Don't live inwards looking for yourself, but rather live totally outwards seeking the good of others. That's the second part, right? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Don't, don't look to yourself, but where it is. With humility of mind, and there it is again, thinking, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look out for number one. Look out for number two, five, six, seven, eight, whatever. Practically, I think that can happen in, in, in many different ways. Okay, you're just a few. Let others go in a line first because they're more important than you. Go ahead. It is interesting. Being in India, um, their culture is that if it's in front of you and you don't take advantage of it, you're stupid. That's what they think. Whereas America, we have enough Christendom around us that we will right, let people go to some extent. There will be lines and we'll follow them. In India, there's no lines. There's mobs to get to the front. Uh, yeah, I felt like pushed from my back. Like, whoa, we're kind of pushing along because everybody was going in. I told you about that soccer game I went to. It was like, whoa, everybody push in. And it was incredible. Just the, they're violating my personal space. But they are because I'm in the way of getting them to the front. And so they just kind of went through me. But a, a Christian way is just let others go first. That's a humble way. Help others with their projects because their projects are more important than your projects. Speak well of others in such a way that demonstrates that they're more important and significant than you are. Listen to what others have to say because their words are more important than your words. All these are just simple manifestations of humility. And, and I say this, that this will only happen if you genuinely think this way about others. In other words, I'm not saying, oh, okay, well, if I just let others go first, <laughs> look at how humble I am. What's happened? You're not humble at all. You just want to be seen as humble. And that's what he's talking about. Do not ask for selfishness or empty conceit. That's empty conceit. That's not what it's about. It's about genuinely thinking and regarding one another as more important than yourselves, right? With humility of mind, really think and really believe that others are more important than you are. So letting others go first, helping others, speaking well of others. So it's not a show, but it's a genuine. You know what? This person is genuinely more important than I am. It's what you genuinely believe. It's what you genuinely think. Your actions are coming out of that. That's humility. Now, I, I tell you, this is hard because... It goes against every ounce of our being. It, it, it goes against everything that we feel. It goes against everything that we, we think. But I say this, it's the only true, genuine path. It's only the only path to true and genuine unity. 
is when you have a group of people all setting each other more important than themselves, where they defer decisions, they defer preferences, they overlook sin, they see past weaknesses, only then will you see genuine unity. And that's what I'm praying for for us at Rock Valley Bible Church. You say, well, that's impossible. How can anyone live like that? Well, at the end of chapter 2, we have an example of that. In verse 19, Paul says this of Timothy. Look at how Timothy lived. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Because, verse 21, they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you in Philippi all know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Right? Children think their fathers are like the greatest in the world. Until they get a little bit older, like 17 or 18, maybe we're, we're taken down, down a little bit. But he's saying this, I'm, a, I'm a, like, a, like a child serving his dad who can do no wrong. That Timothy's perspective was total outward, total Paul. And, and Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Because Timothy was ready and willing to leave the comforts of those in Philippi, leave his comforts, leave his place in Rome where he was serving and ministering, helping Paul, to go to Philippi, considering those in Philippi more important than his own comforts, thereby promoting unity in the church by way of example. And that's what Paul is saying. This is possible. How about verse 4? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, the New American Standard has a word in this verse. It's in italics. It means it's not in the original text, but it's there to give clarity. I don't think this word gives clarity. I think this muddies the water. It's better this. It just as verse 3 was no wiggle room, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. There's no wiggle room here. Verse 4, do not look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. So maybe that's where the merely comes in because you will look out for your own personal interests. There's no way to totally devoid yourself of that. You will love yourself. That's the premise of the Bible, right? It's the premise of um, Ephesians 5.28. Husbands, love your wives as your own body because no one ever hated his own flesh, right? You will love yourself. But he says, don't look out for your own. Look out for the interests of others. That's the only way genuine unity will come, through humility. Unity through humility. And I say this, one more. The only way that humility will come is through Jesus Christ. That's the point of verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. And We'll pick up on that next week. Christmas should humble you. It's my message title for next week. But, but I want to tell you, return back again to Josh McCown. Because he's just a great illustration of this. Um, he's been humbled. Until this year, until these past couple games, he's like been a journeyman quarterback, nothing really special. In fact, he'd been cut by several teams and was coaching high school football in North Carolina before the Bears called him to play for them. Here he was, going to be this pro football player, and he was, but he never really had a lot of success, never really stuck with any team, and finally he's out coaching high school football. 
Bill Bears rung him up, said, hey, you want to be our backup quarterback? He's like, okay. That's better than being a high school football coach. <laughs> I, I think he can be humble because he was humbled. But I think there's another reason why he's humble too. I, I want to finish by reading a newspaper article that my dad told me about appeared in the Daily Chronicle in, in DeKalb. Um, Tom Musick wrote it. The article is entitled, Digging Mission on McNown Comes Up Empty. I'll just read it for you. Deep down inside, Bears quarterback Josh McCown must have been fuming mad. I'm going to push this aside here. Must have been fuming mad. He must have been punching walls. He must have been swearing up a storm because all of this Mr. Humble teammate stuff made for great sound bites on TV. But there's no way a millionaire quarterback possibly could be this gracious and selfless. You win the NFC Player of the Week and you get benched for Jay Cutler the very next day and you smile and shrug it off as the best decision for the team. Please, not buying it. The time had come to discover the dirt on McCown from inside the Bears' locker room. Any dirt? Receiver Earl Bennett said, nothing, man. None, right tackle Jordan Mills said. And he says, I like to say Josh is like a white version of me. Whatever that means. He says, that's the real deal, man. Offensive lineman Eben Britton said, there's no dirt. Whatever, we all know the saying, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Both on and off the field, McCown seems too good to be true. He stepped in for an injured Cutler and set a team record with three consecutive games with 300 plus passing yards. And once the Bears cleared Cutler to play, McCown stepped aside without complaint. I understand my role on the team, McCown said. It's the backup quarterback. So that being said, if Jay's healthy, he's ready to go. I'll support him and help him as much as I can. Barf. I think that's the only time and last time I'll probably use that word at Rock Valley Bible Church in the pulpit. But anyway, I'm just reading. So maybe my dirt-digging mission wasn't going to unearth some sort of secret criminal past. At least tell me that McCown dropped a bunch of swear words when he was in the huddle. Nope, Britton says. He chews gum the entire game. He comes into the huddle chewing gum. All right, guys, here we go. We got Flex Right Twin 784, something like that. That's what you love about Josh. You love him as a teammate. Okay, so he didn't swear? At least tell me that he clenched his fists and screamed something like, Fiddlesticks! <laughs> I've never seen him frustrated, Bennett said with a smile. I've never seen him get mad, turn red, nothing. He's a great guy. Wait a minute. This is starting to feel like one of those situations in which players on the offense looked out for one another. What happens on offense stays on offense. I gotcha. Maybe somebody on defense would dish out some dirt. They hate quarterbacks, right? Defensive end David Bass offered a behind-the-scenes glimpse into McCown. Say, they'd get a, a three and out and they'd have to punt, Bass said. Yes, failure. Well, this should be good. He'd say, yo, D, we need you one more time. Keep it coming. We're going to help you in the end, Bass said. It's always like that. Always positive reinforcement coming from him. So I don't think he's acting. That's from the heart. Almost all hope was lost. McCown was a, as genuine as advertised. There was no dirt. He was unblemished. At least it seemed that way until Britton heaved a Hail Mary pass toward a determined dirt digger. He has a tattoo, Britton said. Finally, something. You know who else has tattoos? Prisoners. 
It's pretty great, Britain said. Okay, only Britain didn't say great. He said a word that McCown would never say. It started with bad and ended with another description for donkey. But armed with this information, it was time to grill the veteran quarterback. McCown's group interview already had ended, and if he were like most other players on the team, he would have turned down any additional requests. But he stopped what he was doing and politely agreed to answer a few more questions. What a mistake. The tattoo, Josh. We know about it. Are you going to fess up or what? McCown lifted up his right sleeve to reveal a tattoo of a large cross on his right shoulder. Inside the cross was the face of a lion. It's just my faith, McCown said. It's a cross with a lion in it. The lion represents Christ and obviously the, the cross. As a follower of Christ, that's what's central to my faith. So that's all it is. It was time to stop digging. McCown really was a nice guy. Fiddlesticks. So you know what? I, I, I don't know very much about Josh McCown and surely this is lifting him higher than he really is. I, I, if he's anything like me, I know that he has pride in him. As an athlete, if he's anything like me, I know he has pride in him. Um, however, I've never heard him speak about his Christianity. I don't know anything about his faith, but the illustration stands firm. I, I don't think it's an accident that he would profess faith in Christ and respond this way. Because others, others wouldn't. There's something, there's something there. And if not, it's a great illustration about us and what drives unity. What, what is unity? Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. But that's my message for next week. And so come back and you can hear that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for us at Rock Valley Bible Church. I pray that we would experience the genuine reality of God in our hearts, Jesus working in our lives, the Holy Spirit sharing His gifts with us. God, that we might walk in a unified way, God, which can only come through humility. Help us, O Lord, not to look after our own personal interests, Father, but for the interests of others. I think especially this Christmas season when when Christmas should humble us. Lord, I, I pray... God, that You would would guide us in that. That the fruit of this Christmas season at Rock Valley Bible Church would be a, a unity that comes through humility. As all of us seek the same love, the same heart, same mind. God, to serve and love one another. May the world look at us and say, Behold how they love one another. Surely they are disciples of Jesus. So God, may You help us in these things. Be our joy, be our strength, be our trust, be our hope. We love You. We love Jesus for what He's accomplished for us on the cross. May He be our hope and our joy. And may we walk in His example. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.